welcome back. Today is actually a very special day. Not only do I have Ivan, I have another special guest today, Brian Vito. Um, we are bringing forth something a little bit different today. Thanks to our last segment, we did get a lot of feedback on um, the last one that we did. And today we are changing it up so that you get a clear idea of what the whole purpose about this podcast is and without much delay i will like to int- i would like to introduce brian vito hi brian welcome to the podcast thank you dilhani thank you for having me on uh, i would just like to share with your listeners that um ivan and i also happen to work together in fact all three of us happen to work together so god does truly work in some pretty unique ways um yes. dilhani has asked if i would share a little bit about my my testimony, how I became a Christian. Uh, myself, I was born into um, a very typical average American family. My parents did not go to church. Uh, they were not spiritual. They didn't really know anything about um, church or religions and anything like that. If I was to ask them, you know, if there was such thing as a heaven or a God, they would say, sure. If I would ask them, how do I get there? They would say, you know, you just got to to be good. So they didn't really know a whole lot about um, those things. However, they did think to put myself and my brothers into a church. Now, they were their idea was that we would learn some good morals, but the church that they put us into as children was not a Christian church. So we attended another different type of a church. I'll not say what type of a church for the, for the moment, but uh, I will say this much that in the church they did teach creationism. And of course, when I was going to school in public schools, they taught us evolution. So as a very young boy, I realized there was a problem. The things that they were teaching us in this church were not jiving with the things they were teaching in the public school. So I realized one of them is probably right and one of them is probably wrong. And so as I asked around and did what you know, a young boy would do, I began to understand and really believe in, in evolution. And that basically was teaching that you're going to get born, you're going to live a life of so many years, and then you're going to die. And I remember very specifically when I was 12 years old, wrestling with those thoughts in my mind, And at that point, I had to decide, is there a God? Is there not a God? And I remember literally a 12-year-old young boy going, well, I guess there is no God. So therefore, I need to now start accomplishing all of these things that I'm, that I'm thinking I need to accomplish in my life. And I started to have a checklist in my brain. So from that point on, and I'm not, I'm not proud of this. I say this only to give you a, a glimpse of how my lifestyle was. It affected everything in my lifestyle. Because I figured if I'm just going to die at some point and I want to try to get these things done before I die, my lifestyle started to reflect that. So in my mind, I rationalized it was okay to cheat a little bit, it was okay to lie a little bit, okay to you know maybe steal a little bit, do whatever you have to do, just so long as you're not caught so that you don't get thrown in jail. But uh, And I basically became a little bit of a manipulator as well. And that... I'm not proud of those things, but that was the lifestyle that I was living, trying to obtain those things that I thought I needed, which later on I realized I didn't need. But I bring this all up to a point. That was my lifestyle from the time that I was 12 years old until, until about 30 years old. And this is the part I want to kind of focus on. And it was right about when I was 30 years old, I was engaged to get married and my uh, fiance was pregnant. So I'm thinking I'm checking off two major boxes here. I'm going to get married. We're going to have a family bingo these are big things that I was trying to accomplish as a as a young man and right about the same time my oldest brother and we all had the same 
experiences with, with church. We all thought all religions were just manipulations. We just thought they were designed to try to get our money from us and things like that. But he came up and told me he had become a born-again Christian. And I remember looking at him, and not only did I not know what a born-again Christian was, but I kind of thought maybe he had lost his mind. So he was kind of my first experience of, okay, what is, that's the first time I've ever heard that term, born-again Christian. Um, It was shortly after that I received a phone call from my mother early in the morning. And I think we've all been there, you know, exactly what's about to come out of your parents' mouth. You can tell the tone the time that they're calling and just everything adds up and sure enough she was calling to tell me and at that time I was 30 years old that my father had just died of a massive heart attack in my mind that's pretty devastating as a young man but in my mind again I was just focusing on the fact that I was getting married and that we were having a baby and so you know what I can get through this then about two days after my father's funeral my fiance came in and she told me she needs to break off the the wedding we're no longer going to get married again it's a pretty pretty big blow to a young man at this particular stage of his life um but what i was focusing on at that point again I'm not proud of this but i was thinking already in my mind of ways to manipulate that after she has the baby you know i'll find a way to manipulate the situation because she's you know we still have to deal with having a baby together a couple of days after that i find out that uh, she either had a miscarriage or an abortion Uh, She had never actually told me what happened, but there was no longer that coming along. I'm going and I'm falling into a state of depression and anxiety at this particular point. I'm driving around. At at that time, I was very materialistic, and I had put all my money and effort into a vehicle. For those of you who like cars, it's a 1968 Chevy Camaro. I'm driving it to work one day. I hadn't changed the oil in it in a while, and the actual motor seized. So my father died. My fiance left me, the baby was gone, my car is dead, I'm driving a bike to work. I had a bank account, but I had spent all that money on buying a a car for my, I thought we were getting married, so she got the car, I'll be very honest, she did pay me back for it later on. But my point is, I was driven to a point of depression where I could not focus, I could not eat, I could not sleep, I could not do anything. I was working at the Excalibur Hotel at that time, and they provide us lunch. I mean, we literally would go into a buffet-style lunch every day, and all I could do was grab a muffin and pick little pieces of it off and try to eat it. That's to the state of my depression. Now, I say all that because God was working, and I didn't see it at at that time, but he was driving me to a point where I would stop relying on all of the things that I was relying upon, and I would finally maybe start to turn to him. And I'm I'm going to... share a part of this and then I'm going to turn it back over to our moderator and and we'll get back to this uh, later on but I did finally give in and go to church with my brother my older brother who kept on me and I I remember going into church being really freaked out by a lot of the stuff that I saw people raising their hands and everything but I felt comfort I felt at ease and that lasted for the rest of the night but when I woke up the next morning I was back in that state of depression Now, this would go on for a few weeks where I would go to church, I would feel good, I would come home, and then eventually I stopped going to church because I kind of started just feeling normal again. But the seed was planted. And I'm going to come back to this after a little bit because now this is the next part that I want to talk about. But I had spent from that point where I I thought maybe God, maybe He is real, but I don't know if if the Christian way of thinking and whatnot is correct. So I spent the next six years of my life, and we'll talk about this maybe on the next part, um, 
going through some things and there were some very specific, I was reading and studying all the different religions, just reading up on them because I wanted to know, you know, if there really was a God, I wanted to know how to go about honoring him, I guess is the best way to put it. So back to you, Delani. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for sharing your story from your childhood for the age of 30, which is, you know, I'm sure for anyone who's listening, that would encourage a lot of us. Like for me, you sharing your story just like sparked something within me because I'm at that age and I went through some losses myself. So, and then, like I said, I got baptized and um, I'm a born again Christian. So uh, even against uh, people who don't believe that um, me leaving my previous religion. So I, I, I know how it is. So I appreciate um, you sharing your story. And um, now I do have our special guest again, two special guests. And now I'm going to turn to Ivan, Ivan Palacios. And we've already had four segments uh, into our podcast. Um, today, I just want to ask Ivan to share his story his heritage his history why he is so knowledgeable in this area where we had our previous discussions about um hi ivan welcome back hello thank you so my name is ivan um i was always interested in in theology everything everything to do with theology mythology, all of that, um, since I was little, I think, well, actually, my very first memory, which I don't think many people will believe me, but my very first memory was when I was baptized as a baby, and I just remember being carried by my mom in a blanket, and I remember feeling the water, um, but I was a baby, so I just feel like, you know, I was maybe not born with it, maybe I was born with it, with this curiosity, um, my dad is very nationalist. He's very proud of his country. So he always had a lot of books about Mexican history, Mexican religion. So when I was little, I would just spend hours flipping through the books, looking at all the, all the art, all the Mesoamerican art of the Aztecs and the Mayans and all of that. I think that also fueled my natural curiosity. Um, but my mom, she she's always been very Catholic, but she's always been very open-hearted about it. She's not like she's not orthodox. She's very liberal with her religion, but she is very religious. Um, and you know, she taught me about the the Catholic traditions, um, what the saints are, what they're for. Um, but there was always something that didn't really click in my mind. So I always kept searching for more answers. And when you find answers, you have more questions. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's been my life ever since. I try to find the answers for everything that I can think of. And then this creates more questions. And I, I love this. So as I was explaining in my in the first episode that I did with you, about La Santa Muerte, I grew up in the drug wars in 2006. And that was a very traumatic event for me. And at that time, my sister, who is a middle child, I'm the, I'm the youngest child. Um, so, 
I have two older sisters. I'm the youngest child and the only boy. So when my my middle sister um, in Mexico, the school system has um, the morning morning school and then the evening school. Uh, so she used to go to the evening school, and at that time I was very. I panicked a lot about the war, so I remember we used to um, pick her up from school or just wait for her at a certain, at a specific spot, and I just rem remember all the time praying and praying and praying that she would come back safe. Um, so I would, I've always been inclined to have direct contact with spirituality or the universe or just whatever I could reach. Um, So yeah, I would say that drop words had a very impact in my life in all aspects, including religion, because they made me seek more refuge in religion, having supernatural abilities protecting me. Um, but it just grew from there. I've been trying to study all religions, all cultures, and I've come to realize that cultures and customs are very tied in with religion and religious beliefs um, and I've also come to realize that a lot of religions religious traditions um, they are manipulated to fit their culture mm -hmm. and and vice versa right. people attaching their culture into their traditional um, customs yeah I agree and I mean talking to you I have learned so many things and I think definitely someone God granted you a gift to learn all of this so you can share all of this with everyone I've, I have had feedbacks where people were intrigued by the knowledge that you have you have and another question that was asked was what kind of books do you read where you gain all of this knowledge and how often do you submerge in your research i mean you research on your topics so how do you how does that work surprisingly i don't rely on books too much um because i have come to realize that a lot of books are very biased and manipulated to fit in a certain image so for example i recently was gifted a book called Magic, Science, and Religion by Branislaw Malinowski. And this book is, I believe, from 1925. And I started reading it just for the fun of it. And it's very funny because this book, um, you know, it's about all religions around the world. But they use terms like savages, primitive man. So I don't, I don't like it when books do that. It makes me feel like I cannot rely on their research if they are calling other religions primitive and, and savage um there's also other books um there's a book called the illustrated book of myths um it's also a book about mythology and religion throughout the world and some things that i do to check if the book is reliable or not is i go to sections where i have personal knowledge on these Um, on certain topics so in this book for example when they start talking about the mesoamerican religion which i have um i'll take quite a bit of knowledge in that because you know it's from where, where i'm from and i could tell right away that this book is not reliable because they just get everything mixed up they call 
um, some gods coyotes when they're really not coyotes or they mix the different regions so that's how I know when a book is not reliable the books that I do like are the books that are written by the people of that culture for example um, there's a book called Mayu Yao which is about Kumeyaay cosmology and the Kumeyaay are the natives of where I'm from Tijuana, San Diego, that area and this book was written by Michael Connolly Mesquish, who he himself is a Kumeyaay. And so this book is just about the, the cosmology of his culture and religion. Um, there's also other books that are not written by the people of that particular tradition, but they have, um, they work with those people. They work with the community to make sure that they have everything right. Um, my favorite research is university thesis for doctorates um for example when i was talking about santeria on our last episode um i found so for the research that i was doing to get everything right i found a doctorate thesis called ocha santeria lucumi o yoruba um, by jesus fernandez cano and this thesis is like over 400 pages long of course i didn't read it all the way um, but what I did read, I liked it because um, they even have a diagram of sort of the reasons why these types of religions that are very cultural rather than theological, they're very hard to to understand because um, some of the reasons that they give that I have to agree on is because they are very private. They don't have a book that they follow. So all the knowledge about these kinds of religions you have to interview people mm-hmm. um which i also do i like to go to temples of different religions catholic churches jewish synagogues um, muslim mosques i like to go to these places to have interviews with the priests um rather than reading books um also for when we're talking about yemaya there is uh, so for the people that listen to that episode, I talked about caballos or horses, which are the people that have direct contact with these loas or energies. Um, there is a caballo or a horse. Um, her name is Eseli Kenwa. She has a little YouTube channel. I like her because she's very open about it. She's very, she doesn't try to, um, how do I say it? She doesn't try to make it look like a spectacular thing for the mass um like when you think of voodoo you think of these uh like very cartoonish images of dolls being right like how i mentioned it yeah and she's very open about that that you know it's a full religion she she makes a lot of um lives live streams and she's very open with her answers so that's why i think she's reliable because you know she she's a mystic in her religion she doesn't try to convert she doesn't try to convert and most importantly she doesn't corrupt her own religion just for the views she's very truthful um when we're talking about la santa muerte i didn't have to read any books on that because that was first-hand experience with it from my own culture from my own experiences my own history so yeah thank you so much um there we have our brief introduction of both of my special guests today and now we are going to jump into um, 
to Brian, um, we're going to ask Brian. So Brian, you know, we mentioned about God and the story, like, and Ivan um, shared his knowledge on two deities. Am I right, Ivan? Or they're not deities? For, for which one? Which episode? Both of the last two episodes. For La Santa Muerta, I would say she's a deity. For the Yamaya episode, she's an energy. She's more of a concept. Okay. So all of this, like, you know, it comes down to one main god and the powerful god. I mean, all, all of these deities and energies, they have powers, they have limited... I would like to think they have limited powers, but... Um, I mean, there has to be something more powerful than their limited abilities. So this is where I want to talk about God or the Holy Spirit, like how um, powerful, how strong He is. Um, I would like I would like to also answer that, but I would like to maybe take a little bit of a detour on my way to answering that, um, just to share the last because I when I last was sharing on my testimony, I had got up into the point where I figured out okay maybe there is a God. And then I had uh, shared how I'd spent, from that point, about six years uh, looking into different religions and reading about different religions. I'd like to share just a little, little, bit, little, a little bit of that and how that'll lead into your question as well. Yeah. Um, because when I originally started looking into these things, I was very, very surprised at what I was finding out. Um, maybe a lot like when Ivan was looking into a lot of these different things. But what I was finding out is I was finding out um, that Jesus was actually widely recognized throughout many different religions. So, for example, if I was to go and look at the Judaism, in Judaism, they, they would refer to Jesus as a rabbi. So that would simply be a man, somebody who was a, a, a man. But a rabbi, at the same time, they would give him some type of acknowledgement. I would go into Islam, and I would see where Islam would acknowledge uh, Jesus as well. They referred to him as Isa, but they would refer to him as a prophet. So again, he was just a man. He was not a deity like he is uh, referred to in Christianity. I, w I could go on down the line. You can go into uh, Hinduism, and uh, you're probably familiar with Hinduism as well, but he would be referred to as one of the enlightened ones. So I began to see that in every case, in, in all of these different religions I'm reading about Jesus, but in every case, he was not deity. He was always some form of a man. Sometimes he was an angel. Uh, in fact, I even came across Scientology. This might really surprise people, but in Scientology, the goal in Scientology is to become what they call a clear human being. Once you become clear, you, you're done with all of your reincarnations. You are now a clear human being. You become what's called an operating thetan. So within Scientology, they actually describe Jesus as a shade above clear. But again, just a man who obtained that status. And I bring all this to mind because early on as I'm studying and I'm seeing that every single religion is just kind of giving him some type of a an elite status but always as a man or even sometimes as an angel but still a created being but I noticed that Christianity was the one that was sitting all by themselves the only one that was saying that no he's deity so I didn't really I wasn't really steering my way towards Christianity at that point I was more kind of looking at the other religions and one of the and I'll share four areas. There's so many I could share, but I'll just hit four. Uh, then I came, I started looking at, okay, what, are, what is the goal? What is it that you're hoping to achieve? 
And again, every religion, there is some type of a checklist. You know, if you do these certain things, if you accomplish these specific things, I know that uh, even I even referred to them earlier on as sometimes they're manipulations. And I, and I kind of ran into that as well. I saw where there was a lot of manipulation in this, in the way that these things were worded and worked. And I never saw, and there could be, and maybe I just didn't come across it, but I never saw where there was any type of a, a guarantee or a surety that if you completed those things or if you ever completed enough, in other words, you would never know until the day that you died if you had done enough on that checklist. Now, I guess you could say there is one exception to that rule through Islam, and that is if you become a suicide bomber, then you are going to guarantee yourself a place in paradise, and there's a lot of other things that go along with that. Um, what also a lot of people don't realize is the amount of pressure and peer pressure that is put on a young Muslim person to do this because they, one of the everybody's heard about a lot of the different things that you get if you do this. But one of the things that they don't tell you about is the pressure that's put on the person because, oh, you have to do this. You have to go out and do this because you have to also save your dead uh, Uncle Fred or Aunt Betty or whatever the case may be. So that type of pressure is also put on them. So that was the only possible, I guess you could call it, say, exception I ever saw to the surety. And then, of course, I would look over to Christianity. And again, I would see, well, well, you know what? They seem to be the one that's different. So all the world religions are over here in this little pocket and kind of going up. We've all heard it, the same path up the same mountain. So when I looked over at Christianity and I thought, okay, well, there is no checklist. It's like God's, he's doing all the work. He's going to come down at the, if you're familiar with the verse, there is a, it's Ephesians 2, 8, 9. But what I began to see, and this is where the, at the corner started to turn a little bit for me. I started to really started to say, okay, you know what, maybe I ought to pay a little bit more attention to Christianity because even though they always seem to be the odd man out, at least now something was starting to make sense. So the next area that I started to look into was called prophecy. And this is where the corner really started to turn for me because I began to, again, look at all of the other religions of the world, and I saw very little prophecy. And I saw sometimes when there were prophecies that their prophecies did not come true. I'll just share one, for example. There was one religion, I'll leave it unnamed, that shared that Jesus Christ was going to return in 1927. He didn't. Yes, you know, he, he didn't. Right? I remember exactly. So there, I did come across some prophecies in some of these other religions, but again, their prophecies that you have, the Bible says you have to bat 100%. If you're not 100%, you're a false prophet. So again, and then I did see even some religions where they would literally take huge portions out of the Bible and just translate it and just copy it in their book. And like one particular religion I'm reading through and I'm going, that looks like the book of Isaiah. And sure enough, it was. For whatever reason, they just decided to bring the book of Isaiah and only that book into their teaching. I say all that because when we look at the prophecies from Christianity, they are batting 100%. There are all kind of prophecies that pertain to Jesus. They have all come true. We'll hit on a couple of prophecies and then I want to hit on my last topic. Um, one of the prophecies is like Psalm 22. If you're, a lot of your listeners are probably going to be familiar with that prophecy. Um, it's Would you a, like to share that, um, Psalm 22? I will share the first few words. Um, and you, you guys will all, all uh, kind of uh, be familiar with it here in just a few moments. But what I want to specify first is, back in the time of Jesus, the Bible itself didn't have chapter and verse like we have now. So if I was to go back in Jesus' time and say Psalm 22, they wouldn't know what that is. So in their time, what they would do is they would quote the first couple of words to a verse, and then that would refer to the whole 
to the whole verse. So when Jesus is on the cross and he goes, why hast thou forsaken me? And he's on the cross. Everybody who's sitting there and everybody who's standing right there would realize that he's citing the first words of Psalm 22. And they would realize that what he's doing is he is saying, Psalm 22 is now happening right before your very presence. So if you're if your listeners are familiar with Psalm 22 or if they haven't read it in a while, if you go back and reread it now with that knowledge, realizing that Jesus was applying that psalm to him as he was being crucified on the cross, you'll get a lot more meaning because that psalm was written hundreds of years before Jesus was actually crucified. Uh, another one that would be very similar to that would be Isaiah 53. You can actually start at Isaiah 52, verse 14, and it says that he would be marred beyond the recognition. And so when you begin to read from Isaiah 52 all the way through Isaiah 53, you're going to be reading again a prophecy about Jesus Christ's crucifixion that was written seven to 800 years before he was crucified to the minutest detail. So when you're reading through that, again, I really encourage your listeners to do that. But as you reread through that, Remember that it was written seven to eight hundred years before he was crucified, and what you're getting is a very detailed picture of his crucifixion. So these are the types of things that really started getting my attention. And these are the things that started making me understand, you know, getting me away from the mountain and getting me over to where Christianity is. We've all heard the term that uh, religions are man's attempt to reach God or become a God or release your inner God, whatever you, whatever they want to call it. They have all kind of names. Yeah. But Christianity is the relationship. It's God reaching down to us. He's doing all the work. We're putting our faith and our trust in Him and the work that He did on the cross. Now, uh, one, one more I'll share was um, just because it's a really powerful prophecy, and that is with regards to the nation of Israel itself. We are living in a very unique time. If, we, if your listeners haven't read Ezekiel 36 and 37 in a while, what you'll read through there, you'll read through where God has told Israel that they're going to be punished for their disobedience. They're going to be scattered across to all the nations. And that's going to be their, their discipline and their punishment. Now, we witnessed that. We know that in AD 70, once um, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, that the Jewish people were dispersed into all the world, the four corners of the world, as, as the uh, prophecy says. But what we also see is there is no other recorded people group in history that did not assimilate. So if, if people were conquered in battle, during the course of time, there would be survivors. Those survivors would assimilate into the countries around them and they would assimilate into those cultures. The Jewish people never did. They managed to survive in the countries that they, that they went out to. They managed to keep their culture alive, even despite uh, massive persecutions. We all know of the, the, the Russian pogroms and the Nazi Holocaust. These were just some that would come to mind. But more importantly is we've never seen what actually happened next. And that was after 2,000 years of being dispersed into all the world, we see in 1948, I think it was May 5th, don't quote me on that one, that they declared themselves to again be a nation overnight. Now keep in mind, during that 2,000 years, while nobody was, there was no Israel, the land had become uninhabitable. Uh, Mark Twain visited the country, I think it was in the 1880s, and he described it as malaria-infested swampland. There were barely any people living there, and it was just un uninhabitable land. So in 1948, when Israel declared themselves to be a nation again, what we see is we see the events of Ezekiel 37 start to take place. So we read in Ezekiel 36 where they're going to be dispersed, 
And then in Ezekiel 37, it talks about where they're going to be brought back. Now, for your listeners, it's very important when you're reading through that prophecy, it's called the dry, the Valley of Dry Bones. Mm-hmm. You're familiar with that one. But it also says that they're, the spirit and the breath is not in them. And that's a reference to when, they're, when they are brought back, that they are brought back and they're not yet believing in Messiah. That's going to come later. So the fact that we saw Israel become a nation again in 1948 after 2,000 years, which is something that has never happened in the human history, those were the things that started to get my attention. There's one that I'll, I'll one more that I'll share, but I don't want to hog up all the time, so I'll turn it back yes, to you for a you moment. All the time. You sure? Yes. Because I don't want to take all the time. But um, the last one I want to talk about would be Bible symmetry. Yes. Okay. So Bible symmetry. When we when we look at the Bible, we know that you know a lot of the other religions again they have their writings you have the doctrine of covenants you have the uh, pearl of great price the book of mormon you've got the vedas you've got the uh, the life tower you got scientology you've got a bunch of other uh you got the quran yes. but in all of these instances you have religious writings but the bible again is different than all of these the bible was actually written over a course of 1600 years it has uh, 66 books, approximately 40 different authors. Some of them are doctors, some of them are just fishermen. And there is absolutely perfect symmetry from the first book all the way to the last book. And you'll, you'll begin to find things like what we were talking about with Isaiah. When Isaiah is describing the crucifixion 800 years before it happened in great detail, there's no way he could have colluded with people that were going to be writing 800 years later and recording different things that were happening. Um, so I just maybe want to share two more quick little things. Um, things that I just, I think that your, your listeners are going to be very familiar with. And one of those would simply be the Passover lamb. Um, your listeners would be familiar that year after year after year before Jesus, the lambs were always going to be slaughtered on, on Passover. So these innocent lambs were brought in before the high priests. The high priest would inspect the lambs. They would have to make sure that they were perfect. They couldn't have any blemishes. They couldn't have any spots. The lambs had to be perfect. If they weren't perfect, their blood could not be shed. So this was going on year after year after year after year. And every year that they would bring in some more Passover lambs and the high priest would inspect those lambs. And if those lambs were perfect, then that would atone for the sins for one more year. Now, when we fast forward up to the time of Jesus, so here comes Jesus and you're, again, your listeners should be familiar with John the Baptist when he says, do you remember what he said? Behold, yeah. behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So what, what John the Baptist is saying is that all of these picture types, all of these years that we've been sacrificing these lambs, these were picture types of the Lamb of God that would come in that would take away the sins of the world. Now the really, really interesting thing about this is when Jesus came in through the triumphal gate, we all remember that there was a bunch of people there, Hail, Hosanna, Jesus, and they were there and they were you know, he came in riding on a donkey. Again, that was prophesied. Right. But with the, palm. with the palm branches. Now, a lot of people don't realize that the high priest, just previous to this, had come through that same gate with all the lambs that were going to be sacrificed for Passover. And so all those lambs are being inspected to make sure that they were perfect. And then shortly after the high priest came through that gate, Jesus came through that gate riding on a donkey. Now, the reason he was riding on a donkey is in those days, if a king came riding on a donkey, it meant he came riding in peace. 
We also know in the book of Revelation that when Jesus comes back, he's riding a white horse. If a king comes riding a white horse, that means he's coming to conquer. So there's, that's why he comes on a donkey the first time and on the book of Revelation the second time he's riding a white horse. So as he comes through the gate, this is also during the Passover season. So we all know the, the events that lead up to this. We all know that, you know, the, the, the different things that went on with Pilate and all that. But again, this is something I just want to bring to, to uh, mind for your listeners. And that is when Jesus was on the cross and he was being crucified, it is the same exact time the high priests were down in the temple sacrificing the Passover lambs. And the Bible tells us exactly what time the, the Jesus breathed his last and says it is finished. And it was the same exact time because that time is recorded in the Bible as the high priests were finished sacrificing their lambs down in the temple. They would have blown the shofar. Jesus would have heard the horn. And that's when he says it is finished. The same exact time. That's not coincidence. Just something to think about. You just blew my mind. That escaped my. Um, I, I, it, it really escaped my mind until you, you showed that. What caught my mind was the fact that the, the temple was broken, like or the, the, the steps were, or the temple was like broken. Yes. In fact, during during the crucifixion, you'll, you'll probably remember there was a, a point where there were darkness. There was an eclipse shortly after his crucifixion. And a lot of people will wonder about that because it seems really odd. But it's also really interesting that there was another author back in that time. His name was Julius Africanus. I, I read that. Right. And Julius Africanus, who's not a Christian, actually recorded those events as well. So that's an extra biblical account of the eclipse. And that, again, for your viewers, if they want to look that up, his name is Julius Africanus. I think you might find that also in... Thalos, T-H-A-L-L-O-S. Yes. Wow. That was a very detailed, um, very detailed. I mean, I read the book and I, I, I read the Bible and I read um, all of what you just mentioned last, but it didn't occur to me until you pointed that out, which is very powerful to me to hear that right now because... Yes, it, it is very powerful for me. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for me, uh, allowing me to share that. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing it because it just, it w- I can't explain it to you. It's just so powerful, like the meaning behind it, because that's one thing that I actually missed, but you just brought into light, which has a huge impact on everything that I went through and probably in, you know, what you have gone through and the knowledge that you just shared with us is very impactful so it goes to your original question that was the power of god and how he works through the details and how he records those details and how he puts those details so that we can um as the proverbs 25 2 i hope i got it correctly but it says it's the glory of the lord to conceal a thing and it's the glory of a king to seek it out in other words it's it's his pleasure to put little nuggets in there so that we can study his word read his word and just get impacted when we discover these types of things from his word. And that's, I think it's Proverbs 25 too, but I could be off on that one. Thank you, Brian. Mm -hmm. And Ivan, I do now, coming back to you, Ivan, I just want you uh, to share one little detail. Um, These deities, uh, 
Now, there was a confusion that we distressed. Are they dots or are they demi-dots or what are they? Um, for the African traditions that we were talking about, Yamaya, uh, in both Santeria and Voodoo, they believe um, that these beings, in Santeria they are called Orishas, and in Voodoo they're called Loas, they're basically the same thing. Um, they are not gods, and they are not deities, and they're not demigods. They are like I said, Orishas and Loas, which are sort of energies or powers that exist in the universe. Um, since these are religions, like actual religions, they do have their supreme god, which in Voodoo, um, the god is called Bondier. And in these African-based religions, they believe that these energies are, that they were created by their one supreme god to... Um, to keep the the human the human race so for example they are a way to get in contact with with god and divine powers so it's similar to catholicism where you get in touch with the saints to to act to god in your name so for example you would get in contact with one of these orishas or loas it it's basically a hierarchy the same way in Christianity where they have a hierarchy of angels in these African-based religions it's also a hierarchy because they believe that their God is too too big like it wouldn't it wouldn't even see you because he's too powerful to be concerned with human needs so that's why this God created the Loas and Orishas so that you could have some part of, of this God to interact with to, to help you with your basic human needs. So basically, like, it, it's a God that will give you what you ask for as long as you pray for them, to them. Um, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's the God itself. I would say it's the, the Orishas and the Loas. They are sort of interdimensional beings. Um, they exist in heaven. And they have the ability to come to our earthly dimension. So they are... Like in, aliens. Um, maybe. So, yeah, you're not actually interacting directly with their God. You're interacting with these spirits who have access to God. Um, yeah, because God is too abstract. And I think our material world is too technical so it might feel like opposite concepts god is too abstract for our material world and our material world is too technical for such an abstract concept as god is so the orishas and the loas they are in between thank you ivan and with that i am going to end our podcast so i just want to say thank you brian thank you ivan um brian delved into the holy spirit the god the jesus and ivan delved into the orishas or um the aesthetic uh side of religions and like deities like yamaya and um, santa morte um and you know it's the main 
reason behind all of this is to give you a knowledge on all of these aesthetic religions as well as come back bring our listeners back to the one powerful god um through jesus i mean you only you can only know god through jesus so um to i have just wanted to say that i hope that this segment brought light where there was dark darkness and in order to follow the light we all need that knowledge and i pray that anyone who's listening got a powerful impact from both sides from Brian and Ivan and um if you have any questions feel free to reach out to me and i will forward the questions to Brian and Ivan um thank you so much for listening and hope to see you again soon Thank you.